I grew up in church, and the church I grew up in is super churchy. You're going to find that hard to believe, but uh, we preached everything we knew how to preach in one service. You know what I mean? It was, it was three hours long, and it was just front to back. We started in Genesis, and by the end of the you know, time we were in Revelation, everybody was going to hell. And um, so I like the series preach and not tell you everything in one service, and hopefully you'll come back. But in doing that, sometimes you'll kind of miss the foundation, or you know, you miss kind of in the middle, and so just the podcast is a great way for you to catch up with that. This is going to be a fantastic uh, day, and I promise you, I told you this last week, I want to tell you again, just take a deep breath about this. I know talking about the end times and, and what it means to live in the end times, people think, man, I'm scared to death, and, you know, we're going to have big charts, and we're going to have, you know, horned beast and that kind of thing, or nothing crazy. Because um, I really believe, honestly, I really do believe that, that preaching about the end times ought to be the most positive thing we talk about, everybody ought to be the most encouraging thing that we talk about. Because if this world is all that there is, this is pretty pathetic, everybody. You know what I'm saying? And if I were you, and this is the end, like this is all that there is, there's nothing better on the other side of this world, I'd leave right now and I'd go have a good time. I really would. Because it's just, there's so much bad in this world, I'd find everything I could to have a good time. But if there is something to live for beyond this life, I think it's, I think it's better than this. And I think, matter of fact, I think eternity and I think the, the, the idea of heaven is worth living this life differently for. And that's really what I want to point you to uh, over the next couple of weeks. So grab your Bibles. If you have you version, you can grab that and uh, follow along. Let's ask God to talk to our hearts. Father, I thank you for your word. God, in your word is hope and life. It's spirit to me. So God, I open my heart right now. I'm ready to receive something from you. I don't want to leave here like I came today. I want to leave here better. I want to leave here encouraged and strengthened. God, I pray that you'll remove every distraction out of my mind for the next half hour or so, that I can focus on what you would talk to my heart. Change us today by your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody shout a big amen. Amen, everybody. So we've been talking about sort of the end times, and actually the big idea from last week was this. If you weren't here, I'm going to go ahead and let you know the big idea. You can start taking notes. Your worship guide's a great place for you to take notes today, but... We said, uh, the question is really not, are, is the, are these the end times? The question is, are these my last days? Like, it's not that, are these the last days, like in general, but these are my last days and these are your last days. And in light of that, we need to understand kind of what's going on in the world. And we said, nobody knows a day or an hour that everything's going to come, you know, to an end or zombie apocalypse or, you know what I mean, Jesus return or whatever. Whoever says they know, you know, the day or this is going to happen, this. You know, this particular time, it's always in September. I don't have any idea why, but it's always in September that I actually heard the other day. Somebody sent me an article after preaching last week and they were like, hey, pastor, just in case one of the big doomsday prophets like that, that prophesied, I think it was September 23rd was the day they were saying. And, and then when it didn't happen, like he came back and said, I was just kidding. It's October. So good, good news. It could be this month, everybody, that everything goes goes down. Um, so I, I really don't think anybody knows the day or the hour, but I do think you can know times and season. Here's what First Chronicles said. It's kind of our passage we're using for this whole series. It says the men of Issachar, this tribe of in Israel, it said there was something unique about them. And the Bible would sort of give them a shout out and say the unique thing about them is they did two things. They understood the times that they lived in and they knew what Israel should do or what the nation should do or how they should live their lives. And really, these are the two reasons why I'm preaching this series to you. It's one thing for you to understand the times. Now, that doesn't mean that I understand everything. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you open up Revelation and say, what exactly does this mean right here? I'm probably going to point you to one of our other pastors or Ricardo and, and let them answer because I don't have any idea. 
but, but I do know this. There's some times that we can understand, some seasons for us to understand. And not just understanding. Like a lot of people just leave you with, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what could happen. Here's how the end of the world could happen. Here's how it could all go down. Here's my idea. Here's the prophecy. Here's the big things. And, and, then, and then they leave you alone. I really don't think it's enough for you to understand. I think you ought to know what to do with what you understand. Really, I think this is the, the, the difference in our church. Is, is more than just, I don't want you to just know about God. Matter of fact, the first thing, the first you know, part of our vision here at City Hills is, I want you to know God. I don't just want you to know about the times. I want you to understand what to do with what you know in your life. And so really, the, the big question I want to answer for you today is, in light of the fact that we said last week, that I don't know if these are the last days, but these are my last days. And these are your last days. And in light of that, how do I live my life? Like, how do I, I'm going to give you some meat of how to actually survive the end of the world. Like, how do I live my life right now? And, and I, and I got to tell you, the foundation of all of that was last week when we said Jesus is coming again. And that's the best news that I could possibly tell you. And if you don't catch anything else and nothing else makes sense about the end of the world, you need to know that Jesus is coming again. You need to live in light of eternity. You need to live with heaven in your sight. You need to live for God here in light of an eternity there. And so the big idea last week was Jesus is coming. Here's the big idea this week in case you fall asleep. Let me give it to you right up front. You ready for this? God desires everybody to be saved. If Jesus is coming again, and these are the last days, or at least these are my last days, God desires everyone to be saved. And this is really a huge reality. I know it sounds simple enough. I know you think, man, that's, I, I understand that. But, but honestly, if you understood this, I think it would... I think it would change how we live our lives. And it's not just enough for you to understand this. I really want it to change your life today. I want you to grab a hold of, if these are my last days and God desires everybody to be saved, how does it change my life? And this is really, honestly, this is the context I want you to understand. Now, listen very closely so you don't take anything that I say out of context or read between the lines. Just hear exactly what I'm telling you. This church is for everybody. Everybody. You don't have to be white or black or brown, or red, or yellow, or maybe you dyed yourself another purple, I don't know, whatever color you think you are. You don't have to be Republican. Matter of fact, a lot of good Democrats are going to go to heaven. You, a, lot of good, a lot of good independents are going to go to heaven. Come on, everybody. You don't, you don't have to have it all together. You, you don't have to understand anything about it. This church is for everybody, because God desires for everybody to be saved. Shout amen to that. Everybody, everybody. And, and, and let me just tell you very, again, look in my eyes and listen really closely. If you are part of a church that doesn't look like heaven where everybody is represented, if I were you, I'd come to this one. That's what I would do. Because I think this is what heaven's supposed to look like. It's not going to look like me or all sound like me. They're not going to come from where I come from. Not everybody's going to have my religious experience. I, I want you to know this place is for everybody because heaven is for everybody. John 3.16 says it like this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, His only begotten Son, that whoever... Not just people that voted like I voted. Not just people that protest like I protest. Not just people that have the same pigment of skin that I do. Not just people that understand God like I do. Not just people with the same doctrine I have. But anybody who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. You ought to shout a better amen than that. And that really is the foundation of how to survive the end of the world. Is you got to realize in light of these being my last days, God wants to save everybody. And we got to get on mission 
Because this verse gives us a picture of God that you and I have to understand. That when you see God, you see love. That God's love is amazing and it reaches us. He loves the world. Not only does He love the whole world, listen, but He loves us individually. He loves you right where you are and there's nothing you can do despite whatever any other preacher pointed his finger and told you. Listen to me very clearly. There is absolutely nothing you can do to earn or to lose the love of God in your life. God loves you right where you are. God loves you with all of your mess ups and all of your mistakes. There's nothing you can do to disqualify yourself. There's nothing you can do to step outside of His love. There's nothing that can separate you from His love. His love loves you. It reaches for you. It loves you when you're messed up. When you're, matter of fact, the Bible said that His love is so great for you that while we're still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get your life together. One of the biggest obstacles when people come to church is they think, man, I don't have it all together. Like, I, you know, I, I can't go to church like this, living like this, doing like this. Listen, if you can't come to church messed up, what's church really all about? Look around at your neighbor. Look them right in the eyes. If you know them or you don't know them, you're looking at some messed up folk. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all are married to them. You're like, I know. I know. I know you. I know your stuff. Everybody's got something, and it doesn't, disqualify you. But listen close. Listen close to me. Now look. Don't misunderstand anything I'm telling you. Nothing about God's love can you earn or can you lose. But God's love has a purpose. God's love is not just an end all. It's not just aimless. It has a purpose. It leads you somewhere. His love leads you to eternity Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Again, this passage is the gospel in one word. It's that whoever believes, there's love that leads you somewhere. Out of darkness, out of this death, into eternal life. I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again. Jesus did not die to make bad people good. He didn't die to tweak your life that's a little bit bad and a little bit good and turn you on. No, no, no. He said, you were dead in your sins and I've come to give you life. He came to make dead people alive. Shout amen to that, everybody. It has a purpose in it. God doesn't want anything from you, but He wants everything for you. He wants everything for you. And so God loves everybody and God's plan is He desires everybody to be saved. Well, if He desires everybody to be saved, these are the last days, or at least these are my last days. That means God has to have a plan to preach the world. Like, there has to be a plan in place. God, if you in fact love everybody, and if it's in fact your, your plan that everybody is to be saved, that nobody goes to hell, that everybody finds repentance and everlasting life, then there's a plan to that. Jesus would say it this way, Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, whatever I tell you next, nobody else has authority to change it or mess it up or tell you something else. He said, All authority is in, he- in heaven and earth is given to me. He said, Therefore, in other words, in light of what you know about the end times, listen close, in light of what you know that Jesus is coming again, And in light of the fact that God desires for everybody to be saved, in light of the fact that all of that is true, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age.
God has a plan. Write this in your notes. God's plan is us. God's plan to reach the world is us. If these are the last days, if these are your last days, if Jesus is coming again, and if God desires everyone to be saved, then He has to have a plan. And His plan is us. His plan is for us to go. God is sovereign. God's full of wisdom. God develops plan in every area. How many of you are the planner in your marriage? Let me see. Raise your hand. All of you planners in your marriage. How many of you are the free spirit? Y'all just, you don't even know how you got here today. You're just kind of, just happy to be here. Free spirit, y'all didn't dress yourself. Your wife laid out your clothes, didn't she? I know she did. Well, I'm the planner in, in, in our marriage, and, and Brandy is the free spirit, and we're, we're looking at taking a couple of days off this fall with our family, and, and honestly, it's so funny because I'm, I'm like, I, I, want, I want to know where we're going to get up and go, and literally the other day we're talking about this, and the kids had gone to bed, and y'all don't, we have small babies, and so we're laying down close to them, so we text each other so we don't wake them up, whatever, anyways. So she texts me the other night, late at night, and I'm laying on one side of the baby. She laid on the other side of the baby, and she says, you want, me to just, you want me to just plan it? We'll just get up every day and be a surprise? I said, you want to go by yourself? You want to, enjoy, you want to have a family vacation with you and the babies? Because that's not how we do. Because I'm the plan. I want to know where to go. Listen, God is not just aimlessly going, well, I love everybody, and, and I hope it all works out, and I hope everybody goes to heaven. Good luck with all of that. God is not just saying, well, listen, I sent Jesus. He died for you. He rose from the dead. Then He ascended to heaven. Now, good luck with everything. No, no, no. He's got a plan for your life. He's He's got a plan to reach the world. And the best plan God could come up with when He left the world, when Jesus left the last commandment He gave you, the great commission, the mission that you and I have with God is go. Like it's you and I are the plan. Listen, listen close to me. Bill Hybel says it like this, that the local church, you and I, we are God's plan A, and He didn't make a plan B. So He's not coming back and going, let me try that again, let me do a redo, hang on just a second everybody, time out all of eternity, I'm going to go back to earth, I'm going to do 33 more years, we'll try this again, that one didn't work, let's try another one. No, 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 this is it, my friends. God's plan is us. God's commissioned us to reach the world that He loves so much. Because he saw the best way to reach the world would be through you and I. And that's why we have vision here. That's why we just not, we didn't just open the doors of our church and say, man, I hope it all works out. I hope everybody comes. And and listen, if if that's the kind of church you're used to, there's nothing wrong with that. Honestly, there's not. I grew up in a very inspirational kind of church like that. And I know sometimes I I, I talk about it maybe negatively. There's some negative experience, but there's a lot of positive about it. I grew up, man, just full of faith and believing God for the impossible. But one of the frustrating things I used to grow up in church is I got all this inspiration and nobody ever told me now what, how to go live that on Monday. Like how to live my life on Wednesday. So I would live, honestly, my whole Christianity. In some of my 20s, I would just live this up and down, this high spiritual experience on the weekend. And then on Monday, I would crash down back into sin. Because I didn't have any tools to know what to do and how to really have a plan to live my life. So we got a plan here. You'll see it on your worship guide. We tell you all the time. It's, I think it's God's desire for you to know God. I, want you to, I don't want you to know about God. I don't want you to have theological knowledge. I don't want you to know doctrinally. I want you to know God. I want you to know Him intimately and personally. I want you to have a vibrant, life-giving, prayer-filled relationship with God. I want you to know God. And we want you to find freedom. You'll find all of that written on your worship guide. I think it's it's one thing for you to come out of Egypt and kind of know God. Now I'm saved, but i got to settle all of my yesterdays. 
I got to walk away from my past and I got to get around other people who can encourage me and strengthen me and help me to find freedom. You go to God for forgiveness, but you go to God's people for healing. And so we want you to find freedom. And then once you get free from all of that stuff in the past, now you just think, well, what do I do now? How do I keep moving forward? And that's the third thing that we think that God has for your life. And really the plan that we've laid out for you is to discover your purpose. I don't want you to just leave you know, behind your past life and God to save you and clean up all of that stuff and settle all of that issues in your life. I want you to now get up every morning with purpose so that the last thing that we ask and the last thing I think God has designed for you to do is so that your life really makes a difference. So that you leave a lasting legacy of eternal impact. I want you to make a difference. God's got a plan for your life. He wants you to know God and find freedom, discover your purpose, and then live every day of your life making a difference. I told you that last week. Like In light of eternity, in light of heaven, in light of Jesus is coming back, let's just live our lives making a difference. Like these are my last days. And I want them to count. So, so God loves everybody and God's got a plan and that plan is us. So how does that all, how does that all deal with the end of the world? Like where does that all fit into the end times? Listen close. Here's the, here's the next thing I want you to write down. Is that God is waiting until the completion of His plan to return. Now this is the linchpin of the way I believe end time prophecy. This is the, if you want to know the difference in the way we Talk about the end of the world and maybe other churches that you've been exposed to. This is the linchpin. It's that other people will sort of, you know, everything is toward what happens either after Jesus returns and there's tribulation, there's, you know, beheadings and it's just terrible and it's tribulation and it's blood and it's guts and gore and all that sort of stuff. And listen, honestly, I, re- I, believe, I believe every word of, of this book and I think it's in this book and I think it's going to get worse. However, I think before all of that happens, Jesus is coming back, and so I gotta know, I gotta help you know what do you do until he comes back. Because God's got a plan to reach the world, and he's waiting on the completion of his plan before he returns. Matthew 24, 14, we talked about it last week, says this: that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony, not to just all 193 you know, bordered nations, but to every people group, all nations, and then the end will come. He said, I'm going to wait until that. I'm waiting until the completion of my plan until everything happens. Let me give you some theology. And I know that because some of you are like, man, I want to. Some of you are just super spiritual. And I appreciate that. You're probably the, also the planner in your, in your life. So let me give you some super theological stuff. And then, I'll, and then I'll help you and we'll close. Second Peter. Peter, again, wrote a lot about the end times. We talked about that last week. He said this in Second Peter 3. He says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. Some of, you are, some of you single folks are thinking, I know it's been a thousand years since I've been on a date. I know that. I've been praying. <laughs> I've been praying. I've been praying two weeks. That's how I many. I got 44,000 more years before I go on a date. A thousand years is like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. That's the other thing if you're single you need to know. As some understand slowness, He's patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish. Now hang on just a second. Wait just a second. You're connecting your patience with me with not wanting anyone to go to hell. What does you being patient with me have to do with you you caring about the whole world not perishing? Well, because I got a plan for you. And you're, you're the plan to reach the world. And so in light of the fact that I don't want anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance, 
I've got, I've got to have you. Because the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will disappear and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now that's the part everybody's like, oh, that's the end time stuff. That's, that's the stuff I love. That's the stuff. That's... But the stuff that really matters to you and I is what happens before all this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, in light of all of this coming to the end, here's the question again, what kind of people want you to be? Like how should you live your lives? What should I do now? God, if in fact I'm the plan to reach the world, if in fact you're delaying the coming of the Lord until we reach the world, how does this mean I live? He said you ought to live godly and and holy lives as you look forward to the day of God. And listen close. Now this is so remarkable to me. Studying for this, honestly, this was so eye-opening to me because nobody, and maybe you've heard this before, I never heard it like this. That you can speed up its coming. That how you live your life is attached to how soon He returns. Hang on just a second. You mean I can help control times that He's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I can't come back until everybody hears. Until everybody knows. That's the plan. And my plan to tell everybody is you. So if you want me to come back, you got to get busy. On mission. And you can speed His coming. Let me give you a sentence breakdown. Let me sort of give you the theology here. Most theologians believe this is called uh, the seven-day theory. And, and it, it basically says that the human history will follow the creation story. You know the creation story that, that everything was created in six days. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And so the theory basically says if a day is like a thousand years, that human history will basically last six thousand years and then that last thousand years, that, that, that the last day that God rested in creation would be the millennial reign of Christ. So when you look back and you look at a Jewish calendar, we're almost at 6,000 years. I'm just I'm being honest with you, kind of where we are in human history, according to Jewish calendars, we're right there at that 6,000 years mark. If it's interesting, you kind of look around at our signs and what's being fulfilled and everything that's happening right now. One of those signs is that every nation is that every nation will get the gospel. And if this theory is true, listen, we're right at the end of this. That seven-day theory, if that's true. Now, be, be careful. Let me just give you some words for wisdom here. Let me kind of deviate from my series and just help you real quick, especially if you're over the age of 40. I googled seven-day theory, and when you Google seven-day theory, that's a Tupac album. <clears throat> so just, if you're over 40, just be super careful what you Google. Okay, everybody? Don't be like, oh, I just, I Googled it, and I don't know what happened to me. Look at this. And, and, and you take it to your 13-year-old kid and let them help you, because what Tupac talks about is very different than this. You, you, you are one Google search away from stupid, I promise. Listen, God's so committed to His plan and the way that we steward that plan will impact the timing of His return. How we live literally directly affects the speed of His coming. What we do with the mission that God's given us. How we live our lives. Can you believe that heaven is better than San Antonio? Anybody believe that? Can you believe heaven, heaven is better than, than Bernie or, or, or Comfort or wherever it is you live? I mean, the, the name of the town's Comfort. Come on, somebody. Like, heaven's better than that. Heaven's better than the hill country. Heaven's better. This is hard for me to believe, but heaven's better than San Diego. It's hard for me to grasp. 
but it is. Heaven's better than that. And so it's our job. God's given us a plan. God's given it. He said, this is what's going to happen. I need you to get busy on this plan because I'm coming back and I want everybody to be saved. And I'm waiting on you to do the thing that only you can do. So here's what I want you to know. We can either survive our generation or we can reach our generation. Like that's all that we can do. Those are the two choices I'm putting in front of you on how to survive the end of the world. Let me give you a couple of ways you can change your life. How, how do I live? If these are my last days, if these are the end times, how do I live? I know all of you note takers want to take notes. Look at your neighbor. If they're not taking notes, look at them very judgmentally. They can't remember everything I'm saying. Number one, if you want to live in these end times and really be on mission, the first thing you got to do is this. I want you to see the significance of every day. See the significance. This word is very important. See the significance of every day. Ephesians 5 says, be careful, be very careful then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most. He said, he, he didn't say, listen close. I love this about the Bible. That this church is not the kind of church to tell you, be careful of how you live and then point out your sin. That more often than not, God did not point out the sin in your life when He said, be careful. He pointed out the purpose and potential of your life. It's why I always preach to your potential. Not where you currently are, what God wants to do in your life. He didn't say, be careful that you don't smoke, drink, cuss, sleep around, do all that other sort of stuff. He didn't say, be careful, make sure you're not you know, messing up. And listen, all that stuff's important. You can't live a sinful life. You've got to live a holy, godly life. But really what I want you to do, especially if you're a believer, be careful. Make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. What Paul is teaching us here is that the days that we have are limited and they're valuable. Listen, the most valuable, you and I, the most valuable thing we have is not our car, it's not our house, it's not even your family. The most valuable thing you have is time left. It's time on this earth. And if you're going to really make a difference in these last days, your last days, you've got to see the significance of every single day in your life. Acts 17 says that God has planned where we should live and the time that we live. The smallest detail of our life, God is in control of that and He has us in this generation for this moment. God has a plan in your life. God, did, It's not by accident that you were born when you were born, that you were born into the family you were born into, that you live on the street that you live on, that you work where you work. Some of you are thinking, God did not plan for me to work for that jerk. He did not plan for that, but I promise you, God's got a plan in your life and He knows every detail of that. And that is not not for you to just make money and continue your life and buy more stuff and live. It's for you to make the most of every opportunity. It's for you to get on mission in your life. God doesn't want you to live a guilty life. He's not, he's not going to reach anybody that way. He doesn't want you to live guilty. John 10, 10 said He wants you to live an abundant life. He wants you to, he wants you to live an abundant life that's but it's full of God's blessings. But listen close. Here's the difference in that prosperity message of just everything's going to be awesome. You're going to be happy. Everything's going to go great. Everything's going to be amazing. The other side of that is just like His love is not aimless, God's blessing is not aimless in your life. The abundant life you have is for you to steward well. You have been given what you have been given, not so that you can live aimlessly, but so you can live, here it is again, I can't tell you this enough, on purpose. You were created with a purpose and on purpose. And he said, in light of the last days, 
I want you to make most of every opportunity. I want you to see the significance in every last days. It doesn't matter where we are in life. There's significance here. Every day has an opportunity. Every day has a chance for you to talk to somebody. Share hope with somebody. Take the gospel to the nation. Starting with the world that you live in right now. It's this big idea. Listen close. But you got to have a plan for it. you got to have a plan. you got to have a plan in your life. This is how I'm going to get up today and make the most of the opportunities I've been given. I'm going to steward what I've got. I'm going to walk into work and instead of going, well, this is just where I get my paycheck. I'm going to walk into work and say, and these are the people God's called me to reach. And some of them, you know, some of them going to hell, you know. So, so when, you, when you walk into your family, when you, walk, when you open the door to your cul-de-sac, it's not just where you just randomly showed up. No, 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 there's significance in this day. I met this person on purpose. I'm here because God's got a mission for me to do. I'm here on on purpose. God has a vision for every moment of your life. Even when you don't, you just have to ask God, God, help me see significance in this day. Help me to make the most of where I am right now. Is this okay? Are you all right? Say amen to that, everybody. If you're going to live in the last days and survive the end of the world, you're going to have to see significance in every single day of your life. Nothing can be wasted. Nothing can be idle. This is super hard for 20-year-olds. 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, 25. Listen close to me. This, this is the best time of your life. We cannot afford to waste. i got to get on mission. I, like i got to decide this is what God's calling me to do. That's why I'm so passionate about helping you discover your purpose because I want you to get up every day and see significance in your day. Number two, if you're taking notes. you got to see the significance in every day of your life and then you got to share the unconditional love of Jesus Christ every day in your life. If God's plan is us, then we're going to have to get up every day and see that this day counts. And then I've got to share the unconditional love of Jesus. John 13 said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. We're not called to love like everybody else does. Listen close. This is one of those times you look me in the eyes so you don't misinterpret what I'm telling you. We don't love each other like they do on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC. I honestly believe most of the tension, the racial tension in our world is accelerated by our consumption of media. You don't really feel that way. I don't really feel that way. But they tell us this is how we feel and it further divides us. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to love like the world loves. We're going to love like Jesus loves us. That's my command to love you. It's not like, it, it's not like they tell me to. It's like I'm supposed to. It's easier to receive love sometimes than it is. It, it, it's, it's easier to receive that and, and just say, man, I, I, I appreciate that. I love you. Than it is to really give that out. This applies. Listen to our generation. Listen to me. Especially to millennials. Have you ever heard of millennials? You know who I'm talking about. Some of you who are over the age of 35. Millennials are, are, are in their 20s. They're born some, sometime in the 80s, right after 81, 82, into the 90s. And I saw a study the, about two years ago. This was done that 87%, listen close, 87% of millennials who do not go to church, they do not go for one reason. 87% said one reason we don't go to church. It's not because they don't believe in heaven or hell. It's not because they don't believe in God. It's not because of social issues. It's, not, it's None of that. Listen, 87% of millennials said the reason why we don't go to church is because it's judgmental. It's because everybody looks at my tattoos. Everybody looks at me living with my girlfriend. Everybody looks and judges me. It's not just, it's not just they look at me. I feel like they're judging me. 
I don't feel like I'm accepted there. I don't feel like I have a home there. Everybody tells me how bad I am and not what I could be. Everybody tells me what's wrong in my life. Now, I'm not telling you that you've got to be soft on sin. If you know anything about me, you're not, I'm not, I'm not going to let you buy on sin. But so help me God. This church has to be a church that loves people right where they are with no strings attached. That's the difference in conditional love and unconditional love. It's saying you, you're welcome here just like you are. You don't know how messed up I am. No, 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 I don't have to know. You don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. All I know is this. God's got a plan. And His plan is to reach the world. And Jesus is coming back. And I've got to reach you. Like I've got to love you with all that I've got. Because I'm trying to speed up His coming back. And the quicker I can get to you, the quicker I can get to Him. The quicker I can reach you where you are. And some of you say, man, that's not me. I'm, it's not judgmental. You don't even realize it where you're coming from. Listen, from their perspective, from millennials' perspective, we, the church is more interested in fixing them than loving them. It is not my job to fix you. It is not your job to fix one another. It's the Holy Spirit's job to fix everybody. It's my job to love you right where you are and to love you so much that you cannot stay away from Jesus. It's my job to make such an inviting, warm, welcoming environment and love you right where you are. If anybody is called to fix anybody, that's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But people can never experience the love of God unless we love them first. Unless they get in our doors. Unless we have a conversation with us. Unless they say, listen, I know what you've done. I know the life you're living. But God still loves you and so do I unconditionally. Jesus is coming back. We don't have time to talk about right or wrong. Left or right. Republican, Democrat, guns. None of that stuff matters because Jesus is coming back, everybody. And i got to get on mission. Shout amen to that. I'm the only plan. You're the only plan He has. If we're going to take the gospel to the nations, we're going to speed up His return. When I get on my knees, and and, and I mean this, when I see stuff like Vegas, and I see stuff like Charlottesville, and I see the the tension of our nation, I see the the horrific evil in our world, I get on my knees and I'm praying, literally I'm I'm praying what, what the apostle prayed. He said, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come back. The Bible said the Spirit and the Bride. They say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. And if if you can let me just take a little liberty. If I'm Jesus, I'm looking over heaven and going, I'm trying to, but you got to get on mission. There's more people. There's more people who are lost. More people who are hurting. More people who are broken. More people who are are, uh, given up on church. People who have walked away because it's so judgmental. Because they don't feel welcome. People who won't give God a chance. you got to reach more people. I'm trying to come back. I'm just waiting on you to reach more people with the unconditional love of Jesus. It's okay preaching. You're all right with that. Say amen, everybody. Number three, you got to supply the Great Commission. If, in fact, Jesus is coming back and He is, if, in fact, I'm the only plan He's got and you're the only plan He's got to reach the world, then we have to supply the Great Commission, everybody. Now, listen close. The first two things I told you can be done alone. But this is the only thing we can do together. The first two things you can do by yourself today when you leave. But this one, it takes somebody with you. We've got to supply the Great Commission together. Jesus doesn't have many prayer requests in Scripture. Honestly, He doesn't. He doesn't have many things that He said, Hey, I want you to pray about this for me. <laughs> like Maybe He did, but, but it's not recorded. But there is a big prayer request recorded in Scripture. Jesus said, I want you to pray this way. Luke 10 and 2. He said, Jesus told them, The harvest is plentiful. 
Like it's not a problem that people know that, that, that they're lost, that they're far from God. The harvest is plentiful. Listen, all you got to do is turn the news on. People are hurting and broken. Fifty-nine people met Jesus in Vegas just like that. Like the harvest is plentiful. The problem is people who are living on mission. So ask the Lord of the harvest. Jesus said, here's my prayer request for you. Would you pray this way? Now, when Jesus gives you a prayer request, that's enough to pray for everybody. Come on. That ought to be added to your list. Of all the other stuff, you're praying for a new job, praying for a new husband, praying for a husband, praying for, praying for a tan, whatever it is. You're praying to lose weight if you're like me, whatever. He said, I want you to ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. He said, here's the one thing I want you to ask for. The, the world never has a harvest issue. It's always people. No matter what you see on the media, listen close to me. Matter of fact, put your pen down. You can quit taking notes. I'm done. Look at my eyes. Whatever the media tells you, I'm just. If you work in media here, I'm not. It's not. It's not personal. It's really not. But there is no such thing as a post-Christian. We don't live in a post-Christian world. That's a farce. There is no such thing. We may be post-religion. I do think we live in a post-religion world. Where people are tired of fake and phony and religious and ritual. I do believe that. But we are not post-Christian. There is no such thing. Because every single person on planet earth has a hole in their heart that only God can fill. You can't get post that. You can't get beyond knowing that I'm broken. We are post-religion. We're post-fake. Listen to me. We're, we're, we're past doctrinal arguments. We're past, we're past your church is better than mine. We're past, we, we got to get past. We're, we're past ritual stuff that I just do this because that's just where I've always done it. We just come to church here because we've always come to church here. Where I'm just a member over there because that's where my family was a member. We're past all of that. People want real. They want a real relationship with God. They want something that's tangible. It's why we worship like we do at the beginning of service. Listen, we don't do that just so I can get ready to preach, everybody. We don't do that because Graylin's such a good singer and both of those things are true. You know why we do that? Because even if I don't preach to you, I want you to encounter, I think you want to experience God's presence. And the first thing I want you to do when you come in here, after you get hugged, after somebody loves you unconditionally and wraps their arm around you, is I want you to go to God and go, okay, God, is this real or not? He can be fake, me, the guy down front. You can think that. But you can't think it's fake when you're standing there and you can't stop tears. Your hands, you don't even know what to do. You just, I just know I feel something real. We got to supply that, everybody. People are looking for something the world can't offer. No other religion. Listen, the, the, the problem is there's not enough leaders to reach all the people. The problem is not people. The problem is leaders. The problem is workers in the harvest. Jesus sees the whole world and He sees brokenness. And He's saying, I need somebody to pray and prepare and send leaders to the field. Because there's harvest. Now listen close. Here's the last thing. Psalm 2 and 8, I love this. This is your time to choose. David said, ask me. God's talking through David here. Listen, I love this. He said, all you got to do is ask me. God said, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. 
you mean to tell me all you're doing is waiting on me to ask you? Yeah. I just want you to ask me and the nations will be your inheritance and the end of the earth your possession. One of the things I struggle with, you may think it's silly. Probably is. I struggle with the people in foreign nations that have no choice. Like people who are born in North Korea. They don't have any, like, they didn't choose, you know, they just. I struggle with seeing pictures of Iranian children and Syrian children who are, who are born of this horrific society. They just had no choice in the matter. And I go to God and I go, God, what do we do? And he says, well, I want you to supply the Great Commission. I want you to do something about it. And then ask me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Do you know that the biggest, one of the biggest revivals in all the worlds in Iran? Did you know that? Where Christianity is officially outlawed, it's against the law to worship Jesus. It's the, one of the fastest growing Christian nations on planet Earth. Because there's a bunch of people who say, God, give us Iran, give us China, give us Bangladesh, give us the Philippines, give us Bernie, give us Holotus, give me where I work. You got to live every day of your life this way. Because, here's the last thing to write down you can either survive our generation or we can steward our generation. If these are the last days, and I think they are, at least they're your last days and they're mine. We can either survive these, we can buy buckets of food, we can buy peanut butter in big, large tubs, and we can just huddle together and pray for the best. Or we can steward it well. We can say, God, I don't know when you're coming back, honestly. But to be honest, I'd like it to be sooner rather than later. And so I'm going to make the most of my time. I'm going to see the significance of every day in my life. I'm going to live on purpose. I'm going to love people unconditionally. People that aren't like me. People that don't think like me. I'm going to love people right where they are. And then I'm going to get with a group of people like this. And I'm going to supply the Great Commission. I'm going to steward my generation. Well, you didn't just give me this. Listen, it's, it's why I'm asking you to invite people to church this November. November the 12th. We're starting a new, a new series. The biggest evangelistic series we've done since we launched this church called At The Movies. Guess where we are? Anyways. We're going to take blockbuster films. You're going to see them on the... I, I, we literally, we spent... I spent four days in Houston, Texas, rented huge television studios, several churches and I, and we filmed preaching segments in, in between showing you blockbuster films on the screen. And then I'm preaching biblical truth around that. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it's just called a parable. Jesus did it all the time. I'm just using a parable to reach people. You say, why would we talk about that? Man, let's talk about something spiritual. Let me tell you the most spiritual thing you can do. You bring somebody who's unchurched in November. You bring a neighbor, a coworker, somebody. You, you invite somebody. You take a handful of invites and don't leave them on your dash anymore. Take a handful of door hangers and you, and you get up late at night. I love when people in our church, on our dream team, when we talk about door hangers, they're like, I'm scared I'm going to get shot, so I do it really late at night. <laughs> I'm like, you're going to get shot at night. Don't do that. I steward this well. Like I'm just, I, one invitation could really change a life. I'm going to supply the Great Commission with my giving. After this series, at the end of October, I'm going to preach a really short two-week series about living a life of legacy. About what it means for you and I to sort of partner together and really supply the Great Commission. 
Like what could happen in this church, in this community, in this city, and around the world if we all got together and said, in one time we're going we're gonna to give our best gift to God. We're going to supply the, the Great Commission as much as we can. We're going to give a third of that away to missions. Whatever you give in legacy in December. Every December, the second week is our legacy offering. We're going to give one-third of it away. If you give a million dollars, we're going to give $300,000 away to world missions. Like, immediately. Just to places that need the gospel. To unreached people groups. We're going to take a third of everything that we give, and we're going to, we're going to work on this house where we are right now. Making the best of what we've got. Using everything that we can. Upgrading everything that we can. Making an incredible experience for people to meet Jesus here. And we're going to take a third of it and we're going to put it aside for an opportunity. We don't know when God's going to give us another building or land or what God has planned for us. But when the opportunity comes, we're going to be ready to build or to buy or to put money down or to start moving forward. You say, why are we doing all of that? Because i got to supply the Great Commission. Because Jesus is coming back. And we're the only plan He has to reach the world. 